this week's episode of Seeing It All, where we break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. And we don't have any big movies this week, but besides maybe if you consider Book Club Chapter 2, which I don't, did not make it out to see that film. But I do want to talk about the big movie we had last week, and it is its performance. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, it got an A on Cinema Score, which is on par with the others in the Guardians franchise. Guardians 1 and 2 both got an A on the cinema, on Cinema Score. This is one of the best trilogies of all time, not just superhero trilogies, because all three films are on a consistent quality level. They're all, I'd say, probably around the same area, and audience thinks so as well, with an A. That's very, very, very impressive. Um, Caps in the Marvel Universe, trilogies-wise, I think Cats in America and Spider-Man trilogies are probably the only ones that I would say are on the same level. But I don't like the first of those franchises as much as I love Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Um, that being like Captain America, the first Avenger, which is pretty good. And Spider-Man Homecoming, which I think is just okay. It's not my favorite. While the other, the two and third of those movies, of those trilogies is great. Um, Thor, Iron Man, and Ant-Man trilogies, not so much. All those have at least one, if not two stingers in the mix. Uh, Iron Man, uh, it's all them are. I like the first Iron Man. The rest of them are just okay to me. Uh, Thor, Thor Dark World, uh and then Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, you know how I feel about that. And then all the, the other Ant-Man films, I'm just oh, iffy on. Um, audiences agree with me, too, on the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. As I said, it got an A cinema score, and it has a 95% audience rating, verified audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And as I said, it's a verified audience member, meaning they had to see the movie to leave a review. So you know, although it's not 100% accurate because you have to be motivated some way to leave a review, but it's a lot more accurate than the systems they have on, I think, like I'm to be and stuff. That's that stuff is not accurate. Especially if you don't have it verified, people can just go there and review bomb. It's it's a lot of targeted stuff. Um, and then box office wise, this weekend had been projected to come in around 110 to 120 million, and it came in at a high on at the high end of those projections at with 118 million. The movie held well throughout the weekend, um, so I think this movie will have really good legs. It way overperformed for their projections on Sunday night because I think Sunday morning they said it would make about 114 million, and it made four million more than they expected on Sunday alone. Um, so it's it's gonna hold extremely well. Um, I think this movie will have really good legs. I think we could see I think we could see a high 40s low 50s drop next week which would be great great for a marvel film after the last few ones that have come out and the lost quantumania dropped like 70 percent spider-man no way home that dropped like 67 percent dr strange 67 percent thor 69 percent black panther all these dropping in the high 60s which that means they don't have really good legs even though some of those movies i really love but seems like none of the audiences were captivated but i think this film uh guardians 1 and guardians 2 they drove both dropped about 55 percent um, com- compared to the rest of those Marvel films, so I think I could see this actually dropping lesser than that, especially because there is no competition other than the sixth weekend of Mario, and then as I said, Book Club Chapter Two came out, but that doesn't really pose a threat. Not not the same demographic. Mario might still pose a bigger threat, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three is the big is a big monster in this marketplace, and it doesn't doesn't have another one coming until next week with next weekend with Fast X. Um, some are calling this actually a failure because it came in under Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which opened with 146 million, but it is above the first Guardians of the Galaxy with which opened with 94 million way back in 2014. But I said last week uh, I think this film opened way lower than Guardians Two because it's been six years since that film, and I think many of the audience members that love that film have moved on, and also Ant Man: The Lost Quantumania was so bad I think it spooked a lot of people from Guardians Three. It's oversaturation of the marketplace and i i don't think we had the high going into see avengers and game avengers affinity where there was the films were continuing to build on one another and we were kind of 
in like a in a lost space in MCU right now. So I, I think that's why some of these films have been performing worse than usual. Um, also, many people are like saying the MCU is back now. Like they they went somewhere. But did you see the tremendous success of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever back in November? I remember everybody loving that film. I love that film. It did great. It made like eight hundred something million dollars, and they made a ton of money off of that. I don't think the MCU ever really went anywhere. There's been a really bad movie with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, and we just have to move on. Studios make bad movies all the time. We just got to move on. Um, the Marvels is the next film for the MCU, and I think it will do quite well, but not as well as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, nor I think it'll probably open around with $100 million. But the first Captain Marvel opened like $150 million, but that was a movie right before Avengers Endgame, so you had all that hype in there. It was the first like female-led superhero movie in the MCU, so it had all those factors contributing to it, and it made $150 million, and I don't think this Marvel's film is going to come anywhere close to that. Um, so yeah, back to Guardians. I hope my prediction is right that this film will leg out as it opened to $282 million worldwide, and I think right now it's past, it's past like $350 million, and I hope it can get at least to $800 million. That's where, especially with its $250 million budget, why are we letting these MCU movies go above a $200 million budget? Um, the first Guardians, I think, made in the high 700 and the second Guardians made 800 around the 800 range. So if, as long as it can match the Guardians 2, I think it'll be just, it'll think it'll be a huge success. Uh, that's tremendous that you can make $800 million like that. It's not catching Mario. Oh, who knows? We'll see what the, when the box office comes in, but it's not catching Mario, but it is doing very well, very well. Not a huge success, but it's doing, it's doing quite well. Um, it, as I said, it doesn't have any traditional fast X, and um, I think the own, it has fast X, and then at the end of the month, it has friendly fire from its own company, Disney, with The Little Mermaid, which we'll talk about the first reactions in a minute. Uh, Mario continues to dominate and is now in the top five of animated films of all time in the box office, passing around uh, $1.1 billion. I think it'll probably end with $1.4 billion worldwide, and it'll finish right below Frozen 2, which had like $1.45 billion, so... What a tremendous success it is, and I think that once the strider, once a writer strike ends, we are going to get the sequel announcement along with a plethora, a plethora of spinoffs. Probably Donkey Kong one, probably Luigi one. They're just gonna, they're gonna blow it up. They're gonna make so, they made so much money with this film. They are not gonna stop that train from rolling. Um, now on some box office news. Let's switch over to some new trailers. We got, we got the Meg Two trailer. As I said a couple of weeks ago, we had the CinemaCon descriptions came out of this trailer. Of the Meg 2 trailer. And you know I was extremely excited for the Meg. Because I love. I love dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures so much. And if they ever show up in movies. You know I will love it. I will be there day one. So let me just preface by saying that. I thought this trailer was pretty solid. If not going. It just, it, it just went a toe. It stepped right over the line. It just went a toe over the top. I love the first Meg. And actually rewatched it this past week. And the movie is. Is so I, that movie's so fun. It's just a summer popcorn movie. Um, it still it still tries to ground itself within the real world to make it believable. Um, the stuff about the, how the Meg escaped, I totally bought into, and the stuff that like came along with that, with the whole it was in it's in its own little environment. It couldn't break free to the temperature reset. Oh, it was so I believed it. I believed it. It got you got you got my believability. My dad still thinks it's incredibly absurd, but. You got me. Um, here, though, I thought it just, as I said, it tip, it, it was went a toe over the line. It went, it went, it just went a little bit too absurd. Um, it also didn't feature some of my favorite characters from the first one that I actually really enjoyed in in the film. Um, the beginning of this trailer starts off with your typical creature shot, with each creature proceeding being eaten by another bigger creature until we get to see that creature, that T Rex, eaten by a megalodon. Um, it was really rad, but also it kind of confused me because the water was like two feet deep and there was no way the Meg could go that shallow to get the T-Rex. I think it would be a lot more plausible if the creature had been swimming like it was two seconds ago. So not just getting out of the water, but it, it, it still looked really cool. I I just, ugh, 
don't make me question your logic when I want to have crazy, crazy bonkers action. Just give me, give me, just got to keep the logic. I feel like I'm having the same argument. I'm about to have a fast sex. You got to keep the logic. Um, then we get to the present day with, I think that was Cliff Curtis talking, who he's great. I hope he's back, but there's no Ruby Rose. She was great. She was cool tech girl, pretty fun in the first one, had good chemistry with Jason Statham, and not even love interest from the first film, who's a Chinese actress, and I'm surprised they didn't get her back, considering this is made by a Chinese production company and it's probably going to make the most amount of money in China. And then I think the little girl is back that stole all the scenes the first one. She's, she In the first one, she stole all her scenes were in, and I hope she's back here, but I think we might have gotten a glimpse from her, but if not, I... I really hope she's still in this. Um, those were characters were part of why I love the first bank so much. We do have a new character who I don't know his name, but apparently he's like the biggest Chinese movie star in that entire industry. So it's going to this movie's going to make so much money in <laughs> China. Um, he looks to partner up with Jason Statham to take these creatures out uh, one by one as the two actually do that with one jumping out of helicopters that has been attacked by squids. And then Jason Statham is jet skiing around a Meg. Oh, it's amazing. That was amazing. The Meg also teams up here, and we see three Megs working together that purposely, they purposely wanted to come to the surface world from another hidden, hidden un underwater environment. Is it not the same from the first movie? Um, also, CGI seemed kind of way worse here than in the first movie, and by making the Mega, the Megalodon, I think, I think making the Megalodon bigger. He looked a little bit more, or she looked a bit more chunkier. It kind of made them look more fake. And then the tentacles coming out of the water um, that were attacking the helicopter, those also looked really fake. It kind of, <laughs> I don't want to say, it looked like Sharknado. And I have seen all six of those Sharknado movies. Those Sharknado movies, they go so over the line that their toe goes way over the line. It becomes hilarious. And I love those movies. They're so bad, it's good. Which is, I, I want Fast Furious. I want that franchise, and I want the Meg as well, either to stay in where I can somewhat believe it and have a fun time, or I just want them to go completely absurd because I will be okay with that too. I just The middle area is no fun. When you try to take yourself seriously, but you're doing crazy crap, I don't believe it. You either go, okay, we're playing this straight, and it actually has logic, or you just go full absurd, which I'm okay with either. Uh, <laughs> there were some parts of this trailer that got me really laughing, especially when that one girl got eating as she was saying, oh, this it's so safe in the glass, and then the Meg just chomped on her. Oh, it's so funny. So overall, the trailer may have been a bit too absurd for my liking, I was saying, but I'm still really excited for this summer popcorn movie, and if it can be as good as this first film, then I will be happy. Um, please, can you give me another prehistoric creature movie that I love? Also, I think that we should use this franchise to backdoor to backdoor dinosaurs being in the present day, just like Jurassic World, but make it totally absurd, like the Meg film should be. Just make it totally absurd. I want to see Jurassic World, but on another level. If they bring dinosaurs back to the present, it would make me so happy. Um, also, add some plesiosaurus too, because they're awesome creatures and could fight the Megs, so it's not just Meg versus humans, but Megs versus other prehistoric creatures in the water. Ooh, I got some good ideas. I want the Megs to just, just to fight everybody. It's going to be great. I want a creature fights. I want some creature fights. And then sticking with the underwater theme, as I said earlier, let's talk about the Little Mermaid reactions. I just want to give some background thoughts on my ad campaigns on the ad campaign so far. Um, the trailers haven't really been doing for me, especially since the effects look really off. Um, and the lighting is really, really dark. I'm not the biggest fan of the original animated classic. I have fond memories of watching it, but I don't recall specifics in the movie. It's I kind of have a foggy memory of it. My friend, she used to love Little Mermaid. <laughs> um, I expected in the new movie, I expected Halle Bailey to be great. And honestly, just to be in a similar vein to the Beauty and the Beast remake. As I said before, I like when they plus these remakes and don't just do a shot-for-shot -shot remake. As I said, I love my comparison of using two John Favreau movies of Jungle Book and Lion King. Lion King shot for shot remake. Really boring because I know the entire story. Jungle Book, 
they added so much and it made it like kind of a new iteration of it that got stated on its own and that was great and i don't know where john fever went wrong when he did lion king just ugh, so much wrong with that <laughs> well critics got to see the little mermaid live action film basically three weeks early and the social media reactions have been lifted it's always a good sign when studios let critics give their reactions way early because it shows they have confidence in their films um Little Mermaid reactions have come in actually way better than I thought they would. Most of them praise Halle Bailey's performance and Melissa McCarthy, her performance, as well as Ursula. Uh, many are also saying the effects are really good, which is really surprising. Um, they still call the film uneven. I would expect so since they added 45 minutes of new stuff, and I bet that would drag out the film. I think the original is about an hour and a half, and this one's going to be about two hours and 15 minutes. Um, I just want to go through here and read a few reactions that stood out to me. Um, so from Jazz Tanke, I... Don't know how to pronounce many of these, many of these people's names, but I'm gonna try my best. Um, she says Disney's live action is magical, emotional, and enchanting. Rob Marshall just directed Disney's best li ever live action film. Lin Manuel Miranda and Alan Menken's beautiful music shines. Halle Bailey is absolutely extraordinary, and Melissa McCarthy is a bad ass Ursula. So she gives really high praise. Really, really high praise. I was not expecting that. And then we have um, from Courtney Howard, Little Mermaid, charming but incredibly spotty. Halle Bailey, Jonah Huar King, I think he plays Prince Eric, Melissa McCarthy, and Javier Bardem, who plays King Triton, put their heart and souls into a film that can't escape its animated legacy. Best when it leans into campy bonkers, yet limits its fantasy elements for no reason. So that one's a little bit more on the on the so-so side. Uh, Simon Thompson writes, Endearing but uneven, Little Mermaid doesn't deliver the magic of the anime classic, but there's plenty of creative touches from Mo Rob Marshall to float the audience boats. Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy are great. David Diggs and Aquafina provide solid comic relief. So as I said, they're okay on the story, kind of just reimagination of the original, but Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy are giving great, great performance. Um, uh, Jermaine Lucier Pretty much, I hope I pronounced that right. It's real simple. Are you excited for The Little Mermaid? You'll like it. It's exactly what you think it is. Are you skeptical skeptical and worried about it? That's valid too. It looks weird and disjointed. Bally's great. McCarthy rules. The songs work, but it just feels so unnecessary. And I feel like you can say that about like literally every, <laughs> literally every dis classic Disney animated film. Um, and then we'll end it off with uh, Felicia, who writes, The Little Mermaid makes it pretty close to being the best live-action Disney Disney movie. However, it still struggles in the villain department. Halle Bailey is Ariel, and I had literal chills throughout her performance. This is a Little Mermaid retelling like you've never seen before. So that's a bit more positive one. So I think most of these are more positive than I thought they'd be. I thought there'd be a lot more hating on it. Um, they These reactions have definitely, definitely raised my excitement overall for this film. Uh because honestly, I wasn't really looking forward to it at all. I honestly, I might have said I wanted to see Fast X more than this. But this has definitely, definitely raised that bar a bit. And I think it's going to be much better than Fast X. And I think the box office for this will actually do better. I think it's projected right now to open with $100 million over the four-day Memorial Day weekend, which is what Aladdin did back in 2019. And that went on to make a billion dollars over the summer. And I could see I could see similar success for this movie. I think it could overperform. I think... I. My prediction is it will open with $120 million over the four-day Memorial Day weekend because I think they're going to ramp up this ad campaign. And I know so many people that are so excited to see this movie, which I had no idea. But I think it's not going to eclipse Lion King, which Lion King was the best performer of their live-action um, adaptations. If you Lion King is still live-action. is still an animated film. Well, whatever. That movie made like $1.7 billion worldwide, one of the biggest movies of all time and that's insane and i'll see little mermaid catching that i don't see any of these disney live action remakes ever catching that first the lion king's remakes 
And then next, let's talk about a new trailer, um, Oppenheimer trailer. Um, this trailer played exclusively in front of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 over the weekend and was released to the public on Monday. I have to say, this has probably been the best um, piece of marketing I've seen for this film. The first trailers I did not love one bit, and the poster they put out last week looked genuinely awful. <laughs> it looked it was looked like it was made by a high schooler um, with Oppenheimer standing in front of the bomb. Uh, it, it was it was just such bad Photoshop. It 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 really did not have the tone that I think Christopher Nolan was going for. It was just oh, I laughed when I saw it, and then people were praising best poster ever. I'm like, did we look at the same thing? Please, please be serious. Um, the the, the first post they released with him standing in front of the explosion looked way cooler. Um, I, I I would go with that poster over this one. I I do want them to do though. You know how they do the floating head posters for all the new movies. I want them to do a floating head poster for this movie because there are so many different people in it. But Albert Einstein, right? Big fat and center. Oh, it would be so funny. Um, Christopher Nolan has been touting this movie. He's been touting this movie everywhere. He calls it the most, and he calls Oppenheimer the most important man ever. And like, no, he's not. No, he's not. I think Nolan just. I think Nolan. Nolan really gets on my nerves for some reason. He's just. He's a very arrogant filmmaker. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it really gets on my nose. Nerves. Also, nothing makes me more mad than not being able to understand what the characters are saying because we have the sound mixing technology to where we should always be able to understand what everyone is saying. And really, does Nolan deliver on that front? Especially with Tenet. Tenet was so awful. I had no idea what was happening. And then you have Batman, who's. Oh, I'm Batman, and he's and the costume makes his mouth stuck together, so you can't understand what the heck he's saying. Um, but I do have to say, I love The Dark Knight. I love The Dark Knight, and Interstellar is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. So safe to say, I have come into this Oppenheimer movie with tempered expectations because the lows of Tenet, but also the highs of Interstellar. As I saw, uh, as I said, the first couple of trailers for the Oppenheimer film gave me no excitement at all and actually lowered it, especially when the runtime came out around three hours. I really can only handle that runtime when it comes to action movies that can maintain a pace like that. Not a drama because at that point, either cut a few scenes out or make a TV show. <laughs> the trailer just recently released, though, I thought was pretty good. Um, nothing to get me overjoyed about, but it does ramp up the drama and tension. And I think they automatically made me like this trailer more by having Matt Damon in most of it. Hopefully he's kind of a main character in the film but i don't know this film seems very long like they're jumping to different pieces of time so i don't see him any of these characters since oppenheimer himself being in a lot of the film but i want matt damon and everything put him in everything <laughs> and also showing albert einstein because who doesn't love albert einstein the actor who's playing him look great um i'm kind of confused though when the movie is in black and white and when it's color maybe after the bomb scene everything's in black and white i guess that says something about the the world the state of the world after the bomb or some something artistic like that <laughs> i'm sure nolan comes up with some some uh, artistic analysis and reason why <laughs> um cillian murphy he seems to be doing a pretty good job i just find myself struggling to have any excitement with this film compared to how i see everyone else's reactions i feel like i'm taking crazy pills i'm also not a huge fan of historical dramas especially when i know the outcome because i know my history and I like sad movies, but not movies about sad stuff, if that if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I like, I like sad movies, but not stuff that would actually have happened before. Um, I know I've seen enough war movies for a lifetime. I know humanity sucks, especially during war. And I don't I don't like to be reminded that constantly. I kind of just want to move on in the future, knowing we made those mistakes in the past. I don't need to be constantly reminded of it. Um, I felt like I just ran on a rant about war movies, but my brain kind of loops Oppenheimer with those because maybe no, Christopher Nolan made Dunkirk, and that's why, but I just really don't care for this um, this story because I know the outcome, and I'm just not a huge fan of the way it's presented. 
as I said, you remember my Oscar rant? I didn't like what was it? Um, all Quiet on the Western Front. Ugh, they're all they're all the same. They're all the same. War is bad. Yeah, we get it. Now stop touting it up and using the violence to promote your film. It's just I I just really don't like those movies. Um, the Oppenheimer opens against Barbie, and we are going with a huge group of fans to do a double feature. I think I'm gonna convince them all to do Barbie first, and then watch Oppenheimer because I'm much more excited about Barbie at this point. Honestly, we'll just have to see the critic reactions and see it myself for Oppenheimer before I make the final judgment. Because all that I've seen hasn't really made me excited at all. All this trailer was really good, but I just I don't have any excitement for this film, and actually most of it has lowered any anticipation that I had. As Especially that when the cast was announced, I was on Cloud9. I was like, this is going to be great. This could be fantastic. But now that we've actually seen trailers and know the runtime, I just uh, I just feel like I'm mean more and more deflated the more I see about that. Well, everybody else's excitement is going up and up because I'm jealous. I want to be that excited, but I'm just, I'm just not. Um, now, before Fast X comes out next week, I want to do a little deep dive into my history with that franchise. Um, the only one I saw in theaters was Fast 9, which I drove an hour to an IMAX screening of so I could see the preview of Jurassic World Dominion that played with it. And we ended up leaving the film halfway through because it was just really bad. Also, I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> but when the Fast X trailer came out, I decided, okay, I need to watch all of the films before this new one comes out so I can actually be prepared for it. So that's what I did. I watched all nine Fast and Furious movies in a row. I'd already seen Hobbs and Shaw, so I didn't need to watch that. Plus, Hobbs isn't coming back, and which is really making me sad. But... I want to rank all the Fast and Furious movies in the main franchise, not Hobbs and Shaw, before the new film comes out. I'm going to do worst to best. Last place is Too Fast, Too Furious. I, I really I really didn't like this movie. It was so, so boring. The only part I really part I really liked was the opening race scene and then the with the cool neon colors. And then when they did they do they do their nitric oxide boost, it was it was fun. It was fun. The opening was fun. Um, and then the ending with jumping on the boat and using hundreds of cars to distract the police, that was pretty fun too. But other than like those two things, man, I have to say I actually really missed Vin Diesel and it, it was it was very boring as I said. I, I was not captivated one bit. Um, second worst or what is that? Eighth eighth place number eight is. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, um, which is the third film in the franchise. My ultimate issue with this film is making a Tokyo-based Fast and Furious movie and casting a white guy with a horrible southern accent to be the main character of it. And he's also playing an 18-year-old while he looks 26. It just uh, immediately made me like, oh, no, I'm not going to like this. And I didn't. Um, There's a reason, though, that Han has lasted beyond this movie where he was killed before he stood out. Um, he, he was killed before, and then he went on to be in more films because everybody loved him that much. He stood around. He stood out among the mess of the film, and then the actual scene where he died was the highlight of the movie. Not him dying per se, but the drifting through a downtown city looked so cool and a lot better than the final race of the film, which was in some rocky areas and it was darkly lit. It was just. Ugh. I did like when v- Vin Diesel showed up though. He was like, "I've come. I've come to take back my franchise and make it about family." And he did that. He did that. <laughs> and then seventh place is Fast 9. As I said, I walked out of this movie. This movie just took it too far in what it was trying to do and became absolutely absurd. Um, the battle, the final battle isn't even anything particularly cool. Also, Vin Diesel has become an unstoppable machine at this point and can never lose a fight. Also, after seeing Dwayne Johnson from movies 5 through 8 in this franchise, he really leaves an impact on these films that he's not in. Um, I love Hobbs. He's so he's just funny to watch. He's amazing. He's perfect for this franchise. I love his absurdity because it's funny, and he he makes the best one-liners <laughs> every time. Every time it's cool action scene, he'll make a great one-liner. Um, now we're at sixth 
sixth place, right? Yeah, sixth place. Um, which is the first one, Fast and Furious, the original, number numero uno. Um, it's Point Break with Cars, the movie. Um, this movie has so many common tropes in it, but hey, it's a solid film. It it birthed a lasting franchise. I will probably never watch this movie again, but I did really like the ending because it felt like one of them, one of the main characters, could die. Never again did that happen. That, that I feel that, but it was nice to have it in the first film, because they actually, I think two or three of the main group died, which was kind of surprising, because it never happens again, they maybe kill off one every couple movies or so, and then, uh, fifth place, uh, is Fate, is it just Fast and Furious, it's Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one, um, this felt like a retread of the first film, but kind of in a good way, um, nothing really stood out to me here, other than the two main cast members reconnecting after two movies, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, it was great, um, with, with all that they had at least Paul Walker was in the second one. Vin Diesel was in the third, but they hadn't been together since the first one. So it was great to see them reunite. Um, Gal Gadot, she looked mighty fine in her first, in her first movie role. Um, the villain wasn't anything to write home about. They did like a weird twist with them. I'm like, yeah, that was obvious. We knew he was the bad guy. And I don't remember too much stuff about that actually happened in this film. I just remember it being an okay movie. It was okay. Um, and then fourth place would have to be number seven, which is, Furious 7? I think it's, I think that's the title. Furious 7, um, which was uh, Paul Walker's death. Definitely added some emotion in this film, uh, but for me, that doesn't carry a movie that's just, I don't love the plot of, nor its action scenes. It also felt way too long at the points. Like, I think this movie's two and a half hours long. It did not need to be two and a half hours long, especially, as I said, the action wasn't great. The final fight in Los Angeles was a huge de- letdown. There was like a whole drone strike thing they were trying to do. It was so boring. Um, compared to the ending of the Fast X, the prior movie, which was great, as I'll talk about in a minute, um, but I do have to say, though, it was an absolute fantastic send-off to Paul Walker. But that, does, that doesn't make it's a great film. Um, I do love the scene, though, where they jump that really expensive car across skyscrapers. They literally just said, we need... It, it, they had the car just sitting there inside one of the buildings. And they're like, oh, it's so sad. They trapped they trapped an animal like this inside a building. And then they, do, they set it free and immediately destroy it. <laughs> I love the irony in this franchise. <laughs> All right. Um, third place would have to be... Fast Five. Um, many call this film the best of the franchise, which I understand where they come from, but it's not my favorite. Um, we see the introduction of The Rock to these films, and man, is he probably my favorite character of these films. As I said, Hob, he's great. Rock is just over the top and is so perfect for this kind of franchise. Um, the stuff in Brazil was great, especially the fight scene with Rock and Vin Diesel, and the final action set piece was great with him dragging the safe through the streets. What a cool idea, and it was implemented so well. And then the runner-up for my favorite is uh, Fast and Furious 6, or Fast 6, whatever they're called. They're st- <laughs> the names are so awful. Um, the standout action scenes brought this film over five for me, and the chemistry between all the cast members has been perfected at this point. The tank scene with Vin Diesel jumping across bridges barely stayed behind jumping the shark. I, th- I believed it, uh, but it was great. <laughs> jumping across. I laughed out loud, but I was like joyously laughing. And then the final fight with the plane sequence as they're on the longest runway known to man, was probably my favorite action beat of the entire series. I loved it. They had so many different levels going on around that one same action piece. And they killed off Gal Gadot, which she'll probably come back in 10. And I won't be complaining because I love Gal Gadot. But it was nice to have some stakes. And then my favorite of the franchise, which I know this may surprise some people, but it is Fate of the Furious. Number eight is my favorite. Um, Maybe it's because I really just love that Vin Diesel was a semi-antagonist of this movie. And it kind of let The Rock take center stage on the hero side. The whole crew not being able to take out Dom was very obnoxious, but also the scene was entertaining at the same time, so I'd enjoyed it. Them all having to chase him through the streets of New York and each grappling with their hook, and Dom was able to spin out and 
throw all their cards to the side. It was great. It was so funny. <laughs> also, I really liked the sub scene at the end, and even it wasn't as cool as a plane scene, but it, it was cool. Um, one grievance I do have with this film and all the films of the franchise, but particularly this film, is that it showed off the climactic endings to the action scenes in the trailers. Uh, we saw Vin Diesel in a car take out a submarine in the freaking trailer, which was the climax of this movie, and that got... Everybody already saw it. Like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to get his car. He's going to run into this. He's going to run into the submarine. And then for Fast X, they're showing the final fight at the Hoover Dam. At least I'm pretty sure this is the final fight because that's the biggest explosion where he's driving down the side of it. I'm like, you don't have to show off the final beat of the movie to sell this movie. What are you doing? Stop doing that. It's it, it ruins the enjoyment. I want to save some crazy crap for the movie so I can laugh out loud at it. <laughs> also, don't make your trailer three and a half minutes if you can't fill it with stuff that isn't the final battle. It's so unnecessary. Make a two-minute trailer. It doesn't have to be three and a half minutes. Um, with that, I'll say my whole ranking, Fast X... It looks to be going over the top like its predecessor. If an ever bit torn down, it might have been taken down just one level, although it's still insane. Um, Jason Momoa, he looks great and is single-handedly carrying my excitement for this film. I love, I can't wait to see him as a villain. Also, the actors promise a shocking end to this film, so I literally won't be shocked by anything in this film except for Dom losing a fight. Not even dying, just losing a fight. I would be shocked. And then, would Vin Diesel ever let Jason Statham beat him? Or, the other thing, the other thing would that would make me laugh would be if dinosaurs showed up and we get that Jurassic World Fast and Furious crossover they keep talking about. I will be there opening night with very low expectations and I hope to be pleasantly surprised. But after the reaction to the last movie, I don't have high hopes. Especially with all the production drama, the firing the director that went on behind the scenes. Who knows? Just give me a fun action movie that I can actually believe what is happening. Unless you want to be completely absurd. Then I'll be okay with that. Just you gotta you can't you gotta pick a lane. Pick a lane, movie fast X. Pick a lane. But that'll do it for this week's episode of Seen It All. Come back next week for my fast X review along with a ton of other news as per the usual. Um, thank you for listening and make sure to follow us on social media or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you tweet me or comment and give me a topic idea, I will make sure to discuss it. But thank y'all for listening again. Y'all have a good night now. Bye-bye.